The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Well, it's been a fairly typical weekend in the bonfire of our civilization. My old boss, Conrad Black, said on the John Oakley show in Toronto that Canada uh, actually isn't systemically racist. Thinking your country's not systemically racist is proof that you're systemically racist. So a shocked management at Global News Radio has now booted Conrad off the Oakley show permanently. John Wayne is about to suffer the same fate at John Wayne Airport in Orange County. He's a racist. Your realtor is a racist. Every time he shows you a $2 million mansion, he keeps using the phrase master bedroom. The phrase master bedroom has all kinds of racist associations. Going back to the old spiritual masses in the cold, cold bedroom, Uh, So America's realtors have decided that master bedroom will be replaced by the less offensive term primary bedroom, Uh, at least until they discover that Beauregard Gaylord Primary was a leading Confederate general. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me to the closing of my suddenly master bedroomless home. Zip. Padidudar is out at Disneyland's Splash Mountain theme ride because of its racist associations. Columbus, Ohio is looking into changing its name because of its racist associations. The Dixie Chicks have announced that they are now just the Chicks because they don't want any racist associations. Wins Dixie, the hundred-year-old supermarket chain, is planning also to drop the Dixie. Dixie Beer is seeking a new name. The Dixie Chicks aren't really named after Dixie uh, directly. They're named after a song from the band Little Feet called Dixie Chicken. But who knows what Dixie Chicken means? Could be an antebellum rent boy. Uh, Nova Scotia's Chronicle Herald, Newfoundland's Telegram and other Canadian newspapers have published front page trigger warnings alerting readers that they may be triggered by pictures of the Canadian flag in their Canada Day supplements. Uh, the Canadian flags are a an annual tradition for these papers. You're supposed to cut them out and proudly stick them in your front window. But this is the first year they've acknowledged that obviously most Canadians would rather cut them out, uh, set them alight and dance around them in the street singing Death to the Maple Satan. Zippity-doo-doo, John Wayne Airport, Master Bedrooms, Dixie Beer, the Canadian flag. Maybe it would be quicker if Black Lives Matter just told us the three or four things we'll be able to keep. June 29th, 2020. From my hill to die on, to yours. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. My, oh my, what's been cancelled today. Plenty of old stuff and all of the fun. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-dun. Mr. Black Lives on my rear end. There's no truth, no basis. Everything's just super racist. Zippity doo da, zippity a. I got a feeling today's my last day. 
Okay, okay, that's enough of that. I know talk radio in Canada's in a bad way and getting worse, but there's not enough money in the entire Dominion that could have persuaded me to do what John Oakley did when he placed that call to Conrad Black and told him he's being bounced from global news radio permanently. As many listeners know, John's a great interviewer, but who wants anything to do with a so-called talk station that fires people for saying that, um, you know, all things considered, uh, Canada's uh, maybe not so bad after all? No sooner do I repost my interview with Michael Flynn's lawyer, the great Sydney pal, than the storm tweeters at Twitter restrict her Twitter account. Uh, complacent conservatives who bleat about the First Amendment miss the point. The First Amendment only matters if there's a broader culture of free speech. And right now, on every forum that matters, there isn't. COVID cases worldwide, a meaningless statistic, uh, but nevertheless, they've now topped 10 million. Worldwide deaths, that's a little bit more meaningful and certainly real. Worldwide COVID deaths, now over half a million. But who cares? China has politicized public health officials, and so do we. Well over a thousand American public health officials put their names to a declaration that, quote, white supremacy is a public health threat, a greater public health threat than COVID. That's as stupid as anything any Chinese commie scared of being disappeared in the middle of the night has said. And our guys don't have the excuse uh, that they're, uh, they're going to be disappeared in the middle of the night. I prefer, as you might expect, my own line from a decade ago that a society that abolishes its own history... Its own collective memory is descending into dementia. So the war on statuary is a kind of mental health crisis. Let's have a little bit of philosophy. Lucius Carey, the second Viscount Falkland, he died in battle in the uh, English Civil War, age 33, in 1641 in a speech concerning episcopacy. He said the following, when it is not necessary to change, it is necessary not to change. That's the conservative position. Avoiding the term master bedroom does nothing for a single black person, does nothing to make anybody's life better. It's stupid. And the concession to that and a thousand other stupidities might seem peripheral, but cumulatively, it all adds up. So if you're being given the tour and you ask the realtor if you can see the master bedroom and she says, oh, it's a primary bedroom, say, oh, that's a pity. I was really looking for a house with a master bedroom. Do let me know if the owners ever decide to put a master bedroom in. It's a lovely location. When it is not necessary to change, it is necessary not to change. South of the border, conservatives may tell themselves these polls are meaningless, but President Trump is smarter than that. He's told friends he knows he's losing. Only he can do anything about that. And he's not going to do it by just staggering punctually and incoherently from one subject to another with little to say about it. Statues, Russia, Michael Flynn other than it's an absolute disgrace. It would be lovely to hear him 
say something like the second Lord Falklands line, but right now he's not talking about anything that matters to the people who provided his margin of victory. That's not me saying this. That's Ed Rollins from the pro-Trump Great America Pack. Uh, I don't like Mr. Rollins personally, uh, but he there's no doubt about his pro-Trump bona fides. Uh, Ed Rollins says the message is weak or non-existent. The rambling on about Biden and Pelosi or Clinton and Obama is old and tardy, needs to show empathy, which he hasn't, and projects strength by doing what Reagan, Thatcher and Churchill did with strong speeches. Not macho bull bleep, but thoughtful solutions to serious problems. All the people who helped him win in 2016 are gone. Trump's being advised by a nitwit son-in-law and an army of Goldman Sachs types who find the cultural conservatism, the wall, the borders, immigration, uh, vulgar and uh, unpopular at dinner parties. Now Russia's back. The Democrat media complex is saying Russians are paying the Taliban to kill Americans. That doesn't even make any sense. Afghans like killing Americans, even Americans who've been their friends for years, even Americans who've trained them as policemen or soldiers for half a decade and then got them what in Afghan terms is a very well-paying job. Oh, thank you for the great training. Now I open fire on you. Hey, the, uh, the Kremlin wants to give you 10 grand to kill an American. Oh, that's okay. I like to kill Americans anyway. I don't need the money. I do it for free. It's like when the CIA thought Pierre Trudeau was in the Bay of Moscow. They were too stupid to understand that Mr. Trudeau would do for free what they would have to be given a lot of money to do. It's the same with me. Why does the president have no one around him who can get in front of this stuff? Nancy Pelosi is already threatening investigations and uh, it'll be impeachment too any moment now. Speaking of Pierre Trudeau, Aussie Steinclubber Kate Smythe makes a great point about Conrad Black's defenestration from Canadian radio. Uh, apparently, he's been bounced from his gig on John Oakley for uttering the obvious truth about systemic racism. Yet, says Kate, one isn't bounced from the PM gig in spite of systemic blackface. Mammy! Canada isn't racist, says Kate. It's just ridiculous. Indeed. The moment multiple videos surfaced of Justin the Mammy singer inviting young women to tally his banana, uh, Rosie Barton and the other CBC suck-ups rushed to assure us that appearing in blackface regularly until early middle age isn't in the least bit racist. But if you can get fired, as Conrad did, if you can get fired for saying Canada's not systemically racist, surely Rosie ought to be fired for saying the Prime Minister's not systemically racist. Instead, because we have a freaky, creepy, blackface PM who's redrawn the Mason-Dixon line somewhere north of Hudson's Bay, Rosie and co. have to pretend that Mammy Boy's racism is somehow the fault of society at large. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police currently has its first full-time female commissioner. 
uh, in its history, a lady called Brenda Lucky. And she doesn't honestly think that the Mounties have a big problem with systemic racism. But Justin told her that answer doesn't suffice, so she was dragged out in public and asked for evidence of the RCMP's systemic racism. OK, Commissioner, give it your best shot. You talked about uh, the history of the RCMP and you recognise that there was systemic racism. Do you believe that there is systemic racism today in the RCMP? Thank you for your question. And, and um, yes, there's absolutely systemic racism. I can give you a couple of examples that we've uh, found over the years. Uh, for example, um, we have a physical abilities a requirement evaluation. It's an obstacle course. Um, in there, um, there's a six-foot mat that you have to do a broad jump. And when we put uh, the uh, lens on it and reviewed that physical requirements test, um, evidence told us that the average person can broad jump their height. So, of course, how many six-foot people do we hire? And there are people in all different cultures that may not be six feet, including um, there's not a lot of women that are six feet tall. Um, that would not be able to get through that ex that type of test. So white men can jump, but nobody else can. Gotcha. The systemic discrimination, but I'm trying to think of uh, systemic racism. Um, uh, in our, uh, the, we have some questions, for example, in our um, aptitude test. And you know what, I might refer uh, Gail because... Uh, that is uh, Gail's uh, specialty in the HR world because a lot of it has been, uh, been brought out in our recruiting process. Uh, so, uh... Uh, OK, so Justin doing Come Mr. Tallyman, Tally Me Banana, which is conveniently shoved down my shorts and thus easily accessible for you to tally, that isn't racist, but the RCMP having fitness standards is. Justin groping women isn't sexist. Justin doing blackface isn't racist. But everything you do is. You can surrender everything, like the pansies at Global News Radio and at the Chronicle Herald. You can surrender everything. And you'll still be racist. You'll be sitting there in your formerly master bedroom wondering why everyone still thinks you're a total racist. It's your Monday Mohammed. Last week we were talking about the fatal stabbing of three gay men enjoying a picnic in an English park by a so-called refugee <laughs> from Libya. Uh, and I remarked upon the strange disconnect in the UK media uh, whereby even as the press effused ever more fulsomely about the fabulous, wonderful gayness of these dead gays, they were completely silent about Islamic attitudes to homosexuality. So let's check in, courtesy of the invaluable Middle East Media Research Institute, with Hala Samir and her show on Turkey's Watan TV, addressing this very topic a week and a half back. 
حديث ابن عباس عن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم من وجدتموه يعمل عمل قوم لوط فاقتلوا الفاعل والمفعول به الموجب والسالب جروب بدر تقول انت موجب ولا سالب طب انا مش عارفه ايه طب انت اقتلوهم الفاعل والمفعول The Prophet Muhammad said if you find men engaged in a homosexual act kill the active one as well as the passive one unquote So the Prophet wasn't into any of these distinctions between the pitcher and the catcher the top and the bottom don't get hung up on details Uh, and Ms. Samir agrees with Muhammad on that. Quote, don't start asking, are you active or passive? Uh, just kill them both. الصحابه كلهم اجمعوا على قتل اللوطي لكن اختلفوا في طريقه الاكل منهم ان قال لا يحرق بالنار ده راي سيدنا علي افقى اهل الارض سيدنا علي واخذ به سيدنا ابو بكر ومنهم قال لا اللي يرمى من اعلى مكان شاهق ويطبع بحجار ده قول ابن عباس ومنهم قال يرمى بحجاره حتى يموت وده ده سيدنا علي وسيدنا عباس الاثنين اقروا. The only point of disagreement among the companions of the Prophet was the question of how to kill the homosexuals. The Caliph Ali said they should be burned alive, but other authorities say they should be thrown off a tall building and then stoned. So you can see that there are serious doctrinal disputes. Maybe they could be resolved by uh, doing everything just to make sure. Burned alive, tossed off a skyscraper and then stoned. Or maybe we could stone the pitchers, burn the catchers and throw off a building those who like a bit of both. Oh, and Ms. Samir says don't be fooled by those who call themselves gay. ما يقولوش انا مثلي بيقولوا انا مش بقولوش شاذولك انا مثلي جاي انا مثلي عشان الشياكه يعني وما يكونش لا هو انت شاب ولوطي وسحاقي Some of them say, I am not homosexual, I am gay. They want it to sound nice. No, you are a homosexual, a sodomite, a lesbian, unquote. The wisdom of Hala Samir on Turkey's Watan TV discussing the best way to kill homosexuals, a perennial favourite on Islamic talk shows. Join us next time. For more top-grade Islamic scholarship from A-list imams and others on The Mark Stein Show. How long, how long, though, can the internal contradictions of the Rainbow Coalition hold? The West has built its gay utopia and then uh, near simultaneously made as its principal source of immigration the most implacably anti-gay demographic on the planet. You know... One reason why China has snaffled global dominance away from America is that it doesn't have to waste its time with rubbish like the last month on the streets of Minneapolis and Seattle and Atlanta and Portland. I don't just mean because China is a totalitarian state, so if you try that stuff, uh, no one will see you again, but also because it's a very homogenous society. Over 90% of the population... I think it's something like 93% are Han Chinese. And that's not going to change. And a lot of what's left is also very compatible with Han Chinese. They do have minority issues like the Uyghurs and uh, Tibet, but uh, they're contained in terms of the overall societal arithmetic. They don't have identity politics like we do, where a black man dead in Minneapolis leads to people toppling statues of white guys for what they did to blacks 
and then Hispanics, and then Indians, and then the Inuit, and on and on. They don't live in the delusion that the she-she gay couple who like antiquing in Vermont every weekend can gossip over the fence with the fire-breathing Iman and his child brides who prefer to spend their weekends getting a uh, second clitoridectomy. They they think they those all these groups can live in perfect harmony because they're united in their disdain for straight white men. And as you know, we are on an extremely fast trajectory in the United States, uh, which is on course within the next two or three decades to become the first majority white country to go minority white. And we assume that the new majority will be able to all get along just fine and dandy. Look at the last month. While we waste our time abolishing the phrase master bedroom, China has all the time it needs to accelerate its global domination. Mark Stein's newest tale for our time is out of this world. As morons march in cities across America, what better time to spotlight the marching morons, Cyril M. Cornbluff's science fiction tale. Tune in nightly as Mark Stein reads of John Barlow's leap forward in time after a freak accident involving a dental drill and anesthesia. We've all been there. And the world full of morons he discovers. The Marching Morons is the 37th tale for our time. Mark Stein Club members can listen to this serialization and the full back catalogue by going to www.steinonline.com. It's Mark Stein's Statue of the Night. You put me high upon a pedestal So high that I could almost see eternity You needed me We no longer need forward the female statue representing Wisconsin and its state motto, Forward, that was unveiled to the world at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893, marking the 400th anniversary of, uh, well, you know who. Uh, the statue then stood on the Capitol grounds in Madison for 125 years, a gift of the women's suffrage movement to the state of Wisconsin. The artist was a sculptress and lifelong citizen of the state called Jean Pond Minor Coburn. Here, Mrs. Coburn's granddaughter recalls the artist's particular pride in this work. I am so proud of Wisconsin. And I'm so proud of my grandmother, who was perhaps the person in the world that I loved the most. She didn't talk much because she was too busy working with the art that she loved so much. But she would suddenly spit out a single sentence about the past. And one day she said, when I did forward, it was the happiest day of my life. By the 90s, 
the original copper statue was deteriorating, having been in the open air for a century, and Wisconsin women's groups raised money for a replica to be cast in bronze, enabling the original to be moved inside uh, at the Wisconsin Historical Society while the bronze replica took its place at the Capitol. Last week, the March of the Morons came for Mrs Coburn's Lady Forward. Here is, quote-unquote, protester Ebony Anderson Carter uh, explaining, or trying to, why her mob tore down statues representing abolitionists and women's suffrage. This is a revolution. A revolutionary fight for human rights, for black people and other oppressed people. Please don't take the actions out here as violence. Please don't take the actions out here as misconstrued either. That protester wasn't able to give a reason for why these statues were targeted. The mob's media apologists attempted to pass off the destruction of abolitionist and suffragette statuary as an unfortunate error. But the hardcore Black Lives Matter types were having none of it. Protester Micah Lay told the Associated Press in a text that the two statues paint a picture of Wisconsin as a racially progressive state, when in reality slavery has continued in the form of a correction system built around incarcerating black people. The fall of the statues is a huge gain for the movement, though I think that liberal and conservative media outlets will try to represent last night as senseless violence rather than the strategic political move it really was, Lay wrote. So you follow the circular logic here from the likes of Lay and Miss Anderson Carter. Once we've torn down all the statues of Columbus and Washington and the other genocidal colonizers and slave owners, what's left will just be statues of abolitionists, suffragettes, pioneering gay rights campaigners, transgender athletes setting world records. And all of those will have to come down too because they will risk giving the impression that the state is not a totally racist hellhole. America's schools have raised ignorant, depraved monsters, while conservative ink was agitating for cheap immigrant labour and war in Syria. Toppled in the March of the Morons, a great work by Jean Pond Minor Coburn. Forward, no longer needed, in a society going backward. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. The other day I mentioned the transgender county commissioner in Oregon who has made face masks mandatory for white people when they step outside, but exempted from her decree persons of colour. Marshall Hill, a Mark Stein Club member from Kentucky, writes, Mark, quick question. If I were to don blackface in Lincoln County, Oregon, would that allow me to forego wearing a face mask in public. Excellent jest, Marshall, but then uh, jokes are rather suspect these days, aren't they? Did you see 
Uh, Jimmy Fallon interview that white fragility huckster on The Tonight Show. The expression on his face is worth the price of admission. He understands somewhere deep down that he can barely articulate that the franchise built up by Steve Allen, Jack Parr, Johnny Carson over half a century, he's throwing down the toilet in 20 minutes. Uh, there's been some back and forth in our comments about the utility of humour in these grim times. And I want to get to that in the next few days. So I'll set that aspect aside and actually treat your question seriously. Why wouldn't we have an increase in blackface? Everything else from the segregation era is coming back. We now have a neo-apartheid regime. Segregated lunch counters. Oh, that's terrible. But at Uber Eats, you pay no delivery charge if you order from a black-owned restaurant. Uh, school busing. What a splendid idea. Why wasn't Joe Biden on board with that? Well, at increasing numbers of American colleges, they're debussing. There are separate graduation ceremonies for blacks. In the People's Republic of CHOP, they have seating areas for blacks only. Uh, that Chick-fil-A tosspot in penance for his years of hawking homophobic chicken says whites need to be shining the shoes of blacks. Look at these street mobs. Occasionally you'll spot some black guy, but most of the heavy lifting on this statue toppling right now is being done by white chicks utterly ashamed of their race. Unilever is renaming its fair and lovely brand. Fair and lovely? How can that be? L'Oreal is dropping words like fair, light, whitening altogether. Surely now there is a demand for the opposite, a subtle hint of the biracial, nothing too obvious like uh, Justin or Governor Northam in Virginia or that mentally ill guy in the full blackface whom the coppers had to hustle out of the Black Lives Matter demo in Toronto, but just the touch of uh, Lena Horne or Duchess Meghan. If whites are to blame for everything then there will be a flight from white and L'Oreal will be signing Rachel Dolezal any moment now. Mark Stein's Last Call. Two deaths separated by exactly 100 years. Tomorrow and Wednesday, I'll be sitting in for Rush, which means I won't be here for Dominion Day, as I still call it. You can call it Canada Day if you like. Uh, but according to Canada's newspaper publishers, this Canada Day, that's just as despised and colonialist and racist a name uh, as the old despised and colonialist and racist name. As Jonathan Kay said, it'll be Genocide Awareness and Reflection Day by the time Wednesday rolls around. So I'll go old school racist rather than Johnny Come Lately racist and stick with Dominion Day. And as I'll be on the airwaves south of the border for Dominion Day proper, I thought I'd squeeze in a little bit of Canadian content ahead of time. A hundred years ago, Dominion Day 1920 was quite a lively one. Uh, if for no other reason than that the Prime Minister Robert Borden announced his resignation. I was going to say Sir Robert is the bloke on the $100 bill, but I believe the Bank of Canada is about to redesign him off it, as they've already done with Sir John A. Macdonald on the tenor. Anyway, Sir Robert Borden resigned on Dominion Day 1920, and that was also the first Dominion Day without a great Canadian 
and a great Quebecer, Adolf Basile Routier. Sir Adolf Basile died a century ago, June 27, 1920, in Saint-Irénée-les-Bains, Quebec. You can still see his name all over the province, Place Basile Routier in Schwinnigan, Rue Basile Routier in Montreal, Boulevard Basile Routier in Repentigny and Avenue Sir Adolphe Routier in Quebec City. But I always associate Sir Adolphe Basile with Camarasca, which is a lovely village about an hour east of Quebec City. And basically everything you've ever heard of about Quebec comes from Camarasca. The flag, the Fleur de Lise, that's due to Monsieur René Chaloux of Camarasca. And the attitudinal license plate motto, Je me souviens, I remember, and don't don't you forget it. That's from Sir Etienne Pascal Taché of Camarasca. And above either of those gentlemen stands the most renowned of Camarasca's residents, Adolphe Basile Routier. Sir Adolphe Basile was Chief Justice of Quebec and on the Admiralty of the Exchequer Court of Canada. He was knighted by Pope Pius IX in 1875 and by King George V in 1911. But aside from law and politics, he liked to write poems and lyrics. In fact, he wrote a song uh, with the great-grandfather of my dear friend Monique Fauteur, a rather pretty song. And maybe we'll do it for you uh, right here one day. But that's not his big hit. The blockbuster number in his catalogue is Canada's National Anthem. And I remember being stunned to discover that years and years ago when I visited the small Kamaraska Historical Society Museum. Wow! Wow, I said. You mean, O Canada was written in Kamaraska? Ah, uh, we mumbled the highly separatist tour guide somewhat bitterly and gave an embarrassed, apologetic shrug for the shame it had brought on her town. But that's O Canada for you. It's a French song created to answer the needs of French Canadians. Anglo-Canadians had the maple leaf forever, uh, but all that stuff about uh, from Britain's shore, Wolf the Dauntless Hero came, never really caught on in <laughs> French Canada. So in 1880, the Lieutenant Governor of Quebec, uh, Théodore Robitaille, and the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste commissioned a patriotic song of their own to be sung a few weeks hence on Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day at, of all places, the Plains of Abraham in Quebec City, the very spot where Dauntless Wolf planted Britannia's flag, etc. And thus, on June the 24th, 1880, three Quebec bands combined under the baton of Joseph Vezina in the Pavillon des Patineurs, became the first musicians ever to strike up O Canada. Land of our ancestors, your brow is garlanded by glorious deeds. Indeed. But few glorious deeds are, from the perspective of our time, as bizarre as that debut performance of O Canada. Today, if you sang O Canada on Saint-Jean-Baptiste Saint Day, 
at the uh, Plains of Abraham. You'd be lucky to get out of there alive. So as for the fellow who commissioned it, of all the Queen's viceroys, from Belize to Gibraltar to Tuvalu, it's hard to envisage a more pitiful and shrunken office than that of the Lieutenant Governor of Quebec, all but entirely excluded from the public life of the province. Any Lieutenant Governor who attempted to do as Monsieur Robitaille did and commission a patriotic song about Canada would be in the witness protection program by the end of the day. But back in 1880, it was different. So Monsieur Robitaille asked the aforementioned Adolphe Basile Routier of Camarasca to write the lyrics and Calixa Lavalle to compose the music. And I've always preferred the French words to O Canada, in part because, unlike the English lyrics, they haven't been endlessly monkeyed around with by wankers whose respect for the text is less than they'd show for modular furniture at a final clearance weekend at a discount warehouse. So we still sing Routier's words, reflecting his twin allegiances to the cross and the crown. Car ton bras s'est porté l'épée, il s'est porté la croix. Ton histoire est une épopée des plus brillants exploits. Which means, for your arm knows how to wield the sword, knows how to bear the cross. Your history is an epic of ever more brilliant deeds. That's the sentiment that made O Canada a hit with French Canadians. Even when the Anglos got around to putting words to it, they ensured it would stay essentially a French song now and forever. What do I mean by that? Well, because of the one line the English lyric retains from Routier's original, the very first line, because by then it was too well known to consider changing. But the point about those first two words and first four notes is how the composer set Routier's text. Monsieur Lavallée was also a francophone, so he pronounced the word Canada, emphasis on the third syllable, which is why the da of Canada is on the downbeat of the second bar. Anglophones don't say Canada, they pronounce it Canada. But what's an Englishman to do? It was the most famous line of the song, and so firmly established in public consciousness you couldn't change it. And so even as Francophones soured on O Canada in the latter half of the 20th century, they nevertheless bequeathed uh, to the Anglos their pronunciation of a discarded homeland. Because of the politics of Quebec, not a lot of its biggest stars sing this song, but the very biggest does... Here's Céline Dion with what's mostly Sir Adolphe Basile Routier's words until just before the end. Oh, Canada, terre de nos aïeux, Ton bras s'est porté l'épée, il s'est porté la croix. Ton histoire est une épopée des plus brillants exploits. God keep on land, Oh. 
with the biggest hit Adolf Basile Routier ever wrote. Uh, Sir Adolf Basile died 100 years ago, June 27th, 1920. I would love to see the reaction if Céline or anyone else were to sing Routier's unabashed fourth chorus at Wednesday ceremonies. Amour sacré du trône et de l'hôtel remplit nos cœurs de ton souffle immortel. Répétons comme nos pères, le cri vainqueur pour le Christ et le roi. In other words, sacred love of the throne and the altar. Fill our hearts with your immortal breath and repeat like our fathers the battle cry for Christ and King. Few takers for either in Quebec these days. 100 years after Adolphe Basile Routier's death to the day, June 27th, 2020, on Saturday, Freddie Cole died. 88 years old. Freddie was the younger brother of Nat King Cole. Like Nat, he sang and played the piano. But unlike Nat... He had to do it in the enormous shadow cast by his big brother, and that's not easy. I loved Freddie's voice and economical piano and was always happy to swing by if he chanced to be playing any town I chanced to be visiting. Our pal Russell Malone, whom you can hear swinging his way through Avalon on our last live show before the lockdown killed live music apparently forever, uh... Russell has posted a lovely photo of him and Freddie backstage somewhere or other. Uh, the older he got, the more I liked his voice. There, there was a uh, subtle and uh, appealing huskiness that had set in. But I think I'll close things out with this very early track of his because it suits my mood this day. Ted Travers, Jerry Ferber... And Floyd Hunt wrote this song, and they're not big names like Sir Adolf Basil Routier is in Kamaraska, but it's a little jewel, this tune, and Freddie Cole's record is the reason it's endured. Closing time in the Salons of the West? Indeed. But maybe one last song. Stay safe, stay free. Oh, and waiter... Ask the man to play the blues. Saturday night In our rendezvous I sit alone At a table for two My friends ask me to join them I proudly refuse The waiter asks the man to play the blues I'm feeling so bad Cause you said we're through Nothing seems right Without the sight of you When you said goodbye dear That was really bad news Waiter asked the man to play the blues I'm sitting here reminiscing About the things I've been missing 
since my baby said with her I wish we could make up for ever since our breakup I'm so lost without you tears in my heart though my eyes are dry I guess I'll go home where they won't see me cry it's the same old story somebody's got to lose waiter ask the man to play the blues my heart is aching I believe it's breaking I'm about to blow a fuse so won't you wait up the Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.